When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, Hawks executive Arthur Trish. Do you not have privileges with the rookies? You can't make them take care of that? You think I'm going to tell Ivan Johnson something? Are you crazy? I value my life. With your host, Gallagher up to Anderson. Stop it now behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball, Richard Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, when players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip off. Uh-huh. Back again. Last regular season hang time podcast. Thank you, Smith, from the hang time blog at NBA.com. My co-host, Lang Whitaker, in New York on the couch with Starberry. Yep. Lang, what's happening? How are you, man? I'm good, man. Um, I'm trying to figure out my awards ballot. <laughs> <laughs> you and everybody <laughs> You and everybody else. Yeah. Um, are, you, are you filling that one? Yeah, I'm cheating. I'm, uh, I'm just reading the morning tip. From David Aldridge on uh, NBA.com. <laughs> he went through the whole thing. He filled out his whole ballot for the whole world to see. Well, we talked about it on the, the beat yesterday. We and we and The only one DA and I disagreed with was uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. He went with Ibaka, and uh, I went with Dwight Howard. Right. And then last night I got into an argument with uh, my friend Pascal about it, and he thought it should be Tyson Chandler. Mm-hmm. So I think there's – but a lot of the like, what do you do with Derrick Rose? Nothing. I don't understand. Like, I, mean, I mean, he's been hurt so long; it's hard to it's hard to include him in. You know, when he think? misses as much time, he's missed. I don't know. I mean, what what are you gonna do with him? You gonna put him on your top five in your All Star ballot? Well, my I mean, question your, is your All uh, MVP ballot. Well, my I mean, my thing is if he's if he's not top five, you mm-hmm. know, like does he belong on the second team or the third team or? You know, is he is he second team or third team just because he missed games? You know what I mean? Like I don't. It, it's it's kind of a weird. You have to decide if he belongs on the ballot or if he just doesn't belong at all. Yeah, I mean, I. But I, then at the same time, what do you do with Rubio as a rookie of the year? Does yeah. he belong at all? As I mean, it's a tough question. I mean, I <laughs> I haven't. Uh, you know, I I got to do the the MVP ladder. Kia raced to the MVP ladder right. for Friday on NBA.com, which is we're unveiling day by day, uh, you know, our awards picks. And today Sean Paul wrote about the defensive player of the year, and he, he kind of said that Dwight should win it, but he thinks Ch- Tyson Chandler will win it. Um, you know, I don't know. The injury is a, is a tough one because it depends to me on the severity of the injury and how, how much time it makes you miss. 
or or causes you to miss. And you know, Rose is up to what twenty eight, twenty nine games. Yeah, I think he missed a little more than a third of their games. Yeah, that's a, is the way. He, that that's a tough. That is an extremely significant amount of time, Lang, for for him to miss and for me to just give him a spot because I know what he can do when he's healthy. He hadn't, even when he's played, he hasn't been 100% healthy. So it's a tough – or even close to 100% healthy necessarily. So it's a, it's more difficult than just where does he go as opposed to maybe in a year where he doesn't, you know, get hurt. Yeah, he's he's automatically going to be in that – list of the first few guys, but I don't know. I, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I, it, it is going to take some a pot of uh, green tea and, <laughs> you know, the staying up all night trying to figure this thing out the next couple of days because it is, it is. Yeah. They're guys who deserve those spots based on how they've played, you know, and the other guys who you put in these positions based on their reputation or their history or whatever, you, you know, and, I don't know. Rose, Rose would be off my list this year. He'd be off my top 15. You know, he wouldn't make one of my all-NBA teams necessarily on my ballot. Injury or not? No, just be based because solely the on the fact that he's missed so much time to do with this injury, yeah. So then so then look at the – do you think Rubio has had an impact as one of the, you know, most impactful rookies this season? Yeah, and I, I mean – I haven't looked at his numbers in terms of how many games he missed. You know, in he's terms missed. Of, he he played forty one games, so he missed twenty five at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but to me, I don't know. Like, you know, at All Star, this guy was, you know, the, the story of the rookie sophomore game, and was you know a big deal. And um, was, you know, him and Irving were probably the two rookies most talked about the first until his injury. Yeah, I mean, I know your affection for Ricky Rubio borders on. Uh, you know, criminal, but, <laughs> but at the same time, I wonder like, you know, I mean, if he misses 25 games, um, you know, what, what does that mean? Does that mean we, we can't consider him or, and then, you know, I, I, Kenneth Farid's been pretty awesome this year, right? but he been, yeah, he missed, he didn't barely play the first, he just didn't play. Yeah. yeah. He's played in 44 games right now. So, right. I don't know. The, you know, the, the weird part about this, and I kind of wrote about it today or last night, Oh man, when did I write about? It? I wrote about it in something I wrote. Um, there, there's no set uh, of guidelines that you have to follow. You know, on vote when you're voting on these things. Yeah, they kind of give you a very brief. This is what this award is about, but there, there's not a strict set of. You know, you have to look at this, 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 and, and you know, and and then weigh all these things against each other to make your decision. It's really a subjective argument. In every category, uh, I'm looking right now. My uh, I got I have a vote in the Rookie of the Year award, and it says you've been chosen uh, to vote for Rookie of the Year award. The winner of this award receives a trophy named after one of the the Eddie Gottlieb Trophy, named after the coach of the NBA's first championship team and one of the league's pioneers. Please vote for three players. Five player five points will be awarded for first place, three for second, one for third, and that's all it says. Yeah. See, I mean. That's an impossible. That's an impossible, uh, you know, demand for somebody to come up with the, you know, with a. Uh, I don't know. I guess I don't think the right list of players, but I mean, it's all going to be subjective, yeah. based on what you've seen this year, who you've paid the most attention to, or and all those different things. So, uh, 
I don't know. It, you, listen, you jumped way ahead of me. I, I was. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about getting into my MVP ballots or all that stuff until uh, that was Wednesday's task. Um, it, it's due on Friday, right? <laughs> I got an email today reminding me that it's due on Friday. So I work I best when the you know with the shot clock running down. Um, <laughs> we didn't even. I mean, we haven't even talked about uh, Meta World Peace and James Harden and this people's elbow that got dropped Sunday in uh, L.A. and Harden got a concussion. Yeah. And Meta World Peace, as of right now, uh, while we're here doing the podcast, he's waiting. You know, waiting for word on what his suspension will be, and everybody assumes it's going to be a a suspension of some sort. Um, what was your reaction when you saw the lick? And just, I, I know there's been, you know, plenty of analyzation of this thing, but what what went through your mind when you first saw it, and then saw the replay, and the next replay, and the next 300 replays? I had uh, I had watched the the Knicks Hawks game Sunday afternoon, mm-hmm. and and then when that game ended, the Lakers-Thunder game started. So I was on the couch, and I, I drifted off to sleep during the Lakers-Thunder game. Mm-hmm. And I woke up, and of course, I did what everyone does as soon as you wake up. You check Twitter. <laughs> and everyone was talking about this elbow. So uh, I'd had the game on, so I rewound and watched it as it, you know, because I, I kind of wanted to see it in the context right. of what was going on. First of all, that dunk didn't really deserve any any celebration <laughs> it wasn't that good a dunk it was, it was a good dunk but um but i the only thing i can you know for him to say it wasn't intentional right the only argument i think that he could make is that he didn't intentionally hit him behind the ear right i mean he was obviously throwing his elbow right yeah there's no there's no <laughs> doubt about that when you cock it back all the way around to the other side of your own head and then un- unfurl it yes yeah. You you absolutely meant to throw the elbow. Yeah. I mean, the, my, I guess the only thing he could say was that he didn't intentionally hit him in the head. And, you know, he maybe just meant to throw his elbow and whatever, hit him in the shoulder. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he obviously knew he was there because they kind of bumped. He threw the elbow. And, um, I, I mean, it seems pretty cut and dry to me. You've had a lot more of a history with uh, Metal World Peace than I have. Yeah. Uh, what was your take on the situation? Well, I was actually uh, watching the game. We, the, you know, the wife and I were sitting there. We had watched the Hawks game, um, or watched, you know, we're watching something, uh, the wrap up show or something from the Hawks game, and uh, and then you know we we didn't we didn't necessarily watch it, the opening seconds or every second of the Lakers game as it got rolling, right? But as we're sitting there watching, you know, you, you know how it is when you're at the house, you're kind of doing different things and then coming back and standing in front of TV maybe for a second and watching. Then a commercial comes on, whatever. So I didn't, when it happened, I didn't catch it even in real time when it happened. I was standing there, but I was looking, doing something else. And then I heard the announcer start going, oh, wait a minute. No, you know. Yeah. So my first time seeing it was actually at, when they showed it on the replay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I immediately just thought this here we go again. Like this is going to be another one of these, you know, deals in, in meta world pieces career. Yeah. Where he's, you know, his, his style of play and his history and all the stuff that he's done over the course of his, you know, 12, 13 years in the league is going to be on, you know, is going to be on, on trial basically in, in the court of public opinion. And I, I don't understand what his, 
I don't I don't know what his uh explanation I heard what he said. I don't I know he can't really believe that, you know, well it was unintentional and you know, it's unfortunate that James Harden had to get hit when that was like seriously? You know. But but I'm also not a, one of these people who thinks that necessarily like it's time to run him out of the league and you know, he you know, I've gotten some unbelievable emails regarding the play him you know what people think ought to be done to him you know by by the commissioner or by the league and and whoever's going to be doling out the penalty which is you know Stu Jackson um will probably be announcing it or whatever but i don't you know it's a tough call lang because clearly he had bad intentions when he swung that elbow but i don't know that he had this in mind you know what i mean right and i think we're all taking a little license in assuming what he meant or what his intentions might have been or what he wanted to do or how he I mean I I have you know I haven't had a chance to sit down with the man and ask him but it's the perception of what he did and and how it went down is just brutal why do you, why do you think um it's not time I mean do you think his suspension should be more than you know normally if that happened in a regular game to a player who's never been in trouble before it might you know I don't know three games, something like that. Just a random guess. I would, yeah, I would, I would say five after, I mean, I was there in, last year in Dallas when, right. And okay. you know, clock JJ Barea knocked him down. And when they handed out the five games, I wasn't surprised. I thought, I figured mm, that's appropriate, you know, right. Cause it was a dangerous play and it was a, you know, was foolish play, but definitely a dangerous thing where you knock a guy out, you know, down out in midair, you catch him in the, in the ribs and knock him down. I didn't care that Bynum was four feet taller than uh, right. Berea even. I just thought it was a lousy play. My big thing about what I saw from Artest was, I, and I wrote this at the time, that I mean, as soon, soon as it was over, I wrote something just saying that the, the penalty needed to be swift and severe. I don't care that it was Meta World Peace that did it. I, I would have felt the same way if Matt Barnes had done it or if Pal Gasol had done it. But it does matter. I know, and I'm saying I don't care, but the people that that are going to hand out that penalty have to factor in all these other things. My, but my my stance is, whoever did it, the way it went down deserves a severe fine. It, it needs to be something in the neighborhood of probably five, you know, five games plus, based should, on what we've seen in the past. I think, but I think you should care. Because I mean, this is a guy who's been suspended over a hundred games in his career. I know, right? I know. I wrote about it last night. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean over a hundred games for thirteen suspensions and lost millions. Yeah, you know. I mean, so shouldn't I think that should, you know, I think we have to consider that, and we and that does matter. I, yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming from, but I'm saying, should his penalty? You know, I mean, we're talking hypothetics, but should his penalty be more severe if, say, that was Steve Blake that elbowed James Harden like that? Should, like, if it's five games for our test, I mean, Metal World Peace, I'm sorry. Right. If it's five games for World Peace, is it five games for, for Steve Blake or is it three because it's the first time he's ever done something like this? I think, well, I don't know if it should be less because of that, but I think it might be more because of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I think if it was five games for Steve Blake, then it it might end up being ten games for World Peace. Right. See, I I think the penalty should fit. 
the crime and not the criminal. And that's I'm using that as an analogy, just yeah, because it's the word the the terminology that gets used. But I'm saying, yeah, I don't think I think if there's a transgression made, then there's a penalty for it. Sure. And yeah, we could look at it and say, well, this dude's done this already, and I, you know, I don't think I don't think you can. I think it's a dangerous position you put yourself in as the league if you go around finding guys and using all of that stuff as fa- as a significant factor in what you know what you're going to find them. Now you can't ignore it, you know. And if it's a dude who's got you know who maybe is working on his last, you know, you do something else and and you're getting ready to get a serious, you know, boot out of the league or something. That's different. But, but I mean, I wonder if you know. If it's a little bit of fool me once, <laughs> you fool me twice. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it, when it happens again and again, it, you know, then it's a pattern. And then you, then what do you do? Um, I'm glad I don't have to make the decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, our good, our good friend who's on the intro uh, to the Hang Time podcast here, Stu Jackson, will be the one that. Yeah. What did, what did you ask him? Do people, uh, you know, are they afraid to? Are afraid <laughs> when his when his phone when his number, phone number pops up. up? I would imagine that number popping up at the World Peace Residence or at his agent's office or wherever they get that call. They they're they're braced for something severe. I'm sure. I'm I'm sure that World Peace and the Lakers and everybody out there understands that this will not be a light uh, punishment. This is going to be something significant. You yeah. know, especially with all of the the chatter that's going on since it happened. I mean, the tough part is that you get this extra time, you know, another day to really watch it over and over again. And, it, you know, I had a lot of people tell me it looks worse the more you see it in slow motion. Right. Um, but you I, know, and, and the I, Lakers don't play again until Thursday. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I kind of thought we would have heard something by today, but I don't know. Maybe, I mean, they don't have to do anything until Thursday. Yeah, and I'm, I'm expecting something to come down late, you know, Tuesday night. Um, but I, you know, I'm just guessing, like, like anybody else. I, there's a, there's a different tact though about this whole issue that, that I think has been cranked up since it happened, and you know, playoff basketball. And we saw a lot. There was a lot of chippiness starting last Thursday. Right. I thought. You saw a lot of elbows and shoving and pushing. And, you know, James Jones of the Miami Heat got ejected for a flagrant two on Joe Kim Noah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dwayne Wade kind of shoulder shoulder block, Rip Hamilton and knocked him down yeah. uh, in that same game. And, you know, some Blake Griffin got hogtied a couple times and I mean do you think this was kind of you know all of the players ramping up for the playoffs and then this kind of just you know Metta World Peace kind of pushing over the edge or do you think this is just an isolated incident that doesn't have any connection to all that other stuff that's going on and that's that seems to be going on now that we're getting so close to the start of the playoffs I think it's a little I think it's a little bit of an isolated thing I don't I yeah. don't know if uh, I think part of it's also just the chippiness is just coming from the season's almost over and these guys have been, you know, playing so many games in such short amount of time and they're ready to get to the playoffs. And, you know, I think part of that's just a little bit of frustration, a little bit of exhaustion on the part of all these guys who are just ready to, to, to get over with and, and get out there and play. Um, <clears throat> but I do think, yeah, it's part of it's the, the intensity and the, um, 
you know, guys are trying to make a stand and, and guys are trying to, to, to get out there and play in the playoffs. Yeah. It's a, uh, and it, it, you know, it's ignited a conversation in our, in on one of our favorite platforms on Twitter, you know, amongst a lot of people just about, you know, you, you look at a player's history and you start asking yourself, when is enough enough? Like when does the league have to do something drastic enough to put an end to certain things? Um, you know, because to me that elbow is different from two guys squaring up and, and fighting. You know what the penalty is going to be when you start. Right. You know what I'm saying? This was a this was a weird thing. I I was telling my dad this morning, I was talking to him, and one of my best friends who uh, who lives, he lives in Abu Dhabi now, He's in, uh, but when we were in college, we are playing tackle football, like pickup football. A bunch of us, my buddies and I, we used to play on the weekends against these grown men who owned a barbershop. In the in the town we went to school in, and uh, my buddy, they, he was returning a kickoff, and a dude, big dude from from Detroit, ran down on the kickoff and just <laughs> cold cocked my best friend in the side of the head, like because we were right. we were beating the tire of these old cats, so they they were getting upset, they're getting frustrated. My best friend could fly; he's fast as lightning. So they had a dude come down on the kickoff and just literally smashed right into the side of his head, and knocked him down, like knocked him clear off his feet. And, of course, we fought, you know, like, we started fighting. <laughs> and I was telling my dad, I said, man, what our test did would have meant instant fisticuffs at a, in a pickup game somewhere. Yeah. Like, somebody's fighting the, the minute that happens. I was, I was impressed that the Thunder and that the, you know, the, the, the referees and everybody, that they didn't have something else go yeah. haywire after that because that's the kind of thing that can start foolishness on a court yeah um i mean the thunder players pretty quickly got under control you yeah, know if yeah. you watch that replay they they saw it happen and and abaca and perkins were kind of turned around and looked and then pretty quickly went over and you know they wanted to check on harden it seemed like so um yeah, I liked how you described the big guy who hit your friend. You threw in that he was from Detroit. I know. I mean, I still know him. It's the, the weird thing is, I'd, I'd say his name, but I, he might listen to the podcast. I don't want to get upset because <laughs> he was a big dude. But I mean, and literally, the reason that lick on Harden worried me is because my best friend. The next morning, we had our apartment, and we, you know, we get up to get, you know, get ready to go to campus for class. And he got up and he had a th- a knot on the side of his neck that I'm like it freaked us out. We took him straight to the emergency room mm-hmm. because it didn't. The the day it happened, he didn't have the big knot, but he went to sleep and woke up and it was like softball sized knot on the side of his neck. Uh-huh. You know, and it it was it scared the crap out of us. So those kinds of licks, you know, you get you take the lick and then the next day is when you feel woozy and you you know. He had he had a concussion, and I know Harden had was diagnosed with a concussion. He's gonna have to go through all this stuff, you know, all this battery of tests, right? He with the league's new concussion that, rule to get out. Yeah, he tweeted about it today that he's, yeah, you know, feeling better and glad everybody's checking on him. But it, it's serious business, and that's what I'm saying. Like, it wasn't just an air and elbow that you see happen sometimes when a dude gets a rebound and swings him or something. This was this was a serious blow, like, yeah, serious serious blow. So I, I mean, and without beating the topic to death which you know we're prone to do it it does make you wonder where where the meta world peace thing is because he's had a really nice few years where the drama calmed down 
you know, dramatically. He wins a championship. He plays big in game seven and he wins the citizenship award last year. You start thinking, okay, this guy's really making a transformation. Then one slip like this right. and it, and it changes the whole dynamic. So Lang, uh, let's get a little more depth on this meta world peace situation in Canada. The whole dialogue is spawned from, uh, from one of our favorite cats here on the hang time podcast, Bomani Jones, Contributor at SBNation.com. You've seen him on, uh, you know, around the horn and outside the lines on ESPN. It, certainly you, you have to check out his uh, sensational YouTube work. Uh, the Evening Jones, people might remember. The Morning Jones. How many jobs you got, man? Man, let me tell you, I got enough to where I don't have as much fun as I should, except <laughs> for the fact that my job is more fun than it should be. <laughs> you had a great tweet the other day. You said, well, I, can't, I don't remember. I don't want to put words in your mouth. You said something about... I worked this hard my whole life so I can have a job where I can get do my job sitting in a chair. That's right. Dude, that's real. The whole point of everything for me, I want air conditioning. Like, there's something to be said for the fact that every day you go to work, you know it's going to be 72 degrees. Yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> I thought that was genius. Well, you, you've been watching and, and talking about and tweeting about this this people's elbow that uh, Meta World Peace dropped on, on James Harden and uh, – Lang and I have kind of tossed it around every different way, but in your mind's eye, is this thing being taken out of you know out of proportion, blown out of proportion, maybe, or or do you think the outrage that some people see about what was done is justified? I think the outrage is contrived. Um, I think, first of all, I have no excuse for what he did, most notably because I can't figure out what in the world he was doing. <laughs> like, you know, I get the idea where people say he obviously hit hard on purpose. Like, I can see how somebody would watch that and see it, but nothing else indicates hitting James Hart in the head with an elbow. Like, I, I've got nothing on it. And to be honest with you, I don't think there's any point in trying to explain his intent. I said the same thing about... Gerald Henderson when he elbows out of hands, bro. You got two questions to answer. Number one, um, if you were trying to elbow him, what on earth were you doing? Because I can't think of anything else you could have possibly been trying to do with that motion. And then the other one is you're a basketball player, which means you're responsible for your elbows. So getting into intent to me is unnecessary. The problem is that intent is everything for most people in evaluating this because they can't get past 2004, and we want to go back and talk about the palace again. And the palace with this is apples to oranges, even if it were not eight years ago. This is not at all a similar situation to what happened in the palace. This is actually far more bizarre, because everything that happened at the palace could be explained. And if you look at it at the palace, the only person Artest actually hit hit was a guy that was on the floor, whom I firmly believe is fair game, because I don't have time to ask you for identification. <laughs> so, what, you know, when I hear all these people start saying all this, oh, it was a fly criminal act, and oh, Chris Jones said that, and, you know, these other things that people have had to say, I'm like, get that it was wrong, but I don't understand why people are so upset and so offended, and the only answer is, who did it? And if your issue is who did it, and then from there you try to come up with some historical case to try to say why that justifies your anger, you're full of it. <laughs> you nailed all that. Uh, I mean, well, thanks for coming on. Today. <laughs> what do you, What do you think is is uh, in a? And we haven't heard yet about uh, a, a penalty, whatever the suspension might be for for Metal World Peace. But what do you think is appropriate in this instance? Well, that's such a tricky word to use because it's the NBA, and NBA suspensions are so incredibly reactionary. It's all about the level of outrage. Now, the best I can give you is this. 
Andrew Bynum got five games for what he did to J.J. Barea last year in the playoffs. Right. That would lead me to believe that Artest will probably get somewhere between eight and ten. I wrote between five and ten just because I've seen other people that are more informed than me throw out lower numbers, like some said potentially three. I would expect right. somewhere between eight and ten. And you know what? I think that that would be appropriate given what happened and given the blow that he happened to deliver and given the fact that I'm not really trying to take a lot of time to explain it. But look, right. we, we, we need to, you know, I understand that this is a different era than the past, and I'm not necessarily saying that we should pass. But if you go back and watch that call below an elbow on Isaiah Thomas, it's one of the lowest moments in NBA history, and listen to it and hear his elbow crack Isaiah in the forehead and give him 40 stitches, and it was obviously malicious. It was obviously intended to harm someone, and I want to say he got something like two games for that. What we got here now, especially after the Palace, people really want to make sure that everybody knows that these players are under control, and the best way to do it is by waylaying them with suspensions. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, the Rockets and the Celtics were swinging in the finals. When was that? And, you know, Samson and Jerry Seasting getting at it, and, and I think one of them got a one-game suspension, and that was it. You know, it's obvious <laughs> things are pretty different now. The one thing that you – you said it was apples and oranges, you know, the two situations. But to me, the, the one, the thing that combines them is that the same guy was involved with both of them, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. And I, so for me, it's a little hard to completely disassociate the two. Well, see, the reason that it's not difficult for me to do is I have, at least I like to think I have, the ability to appreciate people's ability to improve themselves. And Metal World Peace, as he wishes to be called now, has worked very hard to improve himself. And honestly, if you dealt with somebody right now that, say, was like maybe 14 years old, you'd have to tell them about the palace because they would not be able to remember it. There has to be a certain statute of limitations, and there has to be some point at which people let go. People are treating Artest like he's on parole. If the palace were that important, I think this is something that people should keep in mind, if it were that important, then when you caught Berea with that kind of clothesline in the playoffs last year, you'd have suspended him for five to ten games. If it was that important when he elbowed Kobe in 09, you'd have suspended him for five to ten games, and the elbow was suspended he caught in 06. He was suspended over five to ten games. Now, if we're really going to talk about precedent and say that the man matters in the case of this, those are the examples that you bring up because we're dealing with an elbow, if nothing else, and the play on Berea was a similar inexplicable sort of play. But, see, nobody's talking about those plays, even though they are relevant, even though they establish prior bad acts. People want to make it. They want to go back to the palace. At some point, people are going to have to recognize that if you can't get past what happened at the palace, that is your fault, and you need at some point to let it go. And it wouldn't be the worst idea to go back and watch the videotape of the palace. Because if you go back and watch it without all the propaganda that surrounded it at the time, never forget, the broadcast the night of the palace was very much so skewed towards what is wrong with these fans, they're out of control. We woke up the next morning, and the entire narrative had changed, and it was all about our test. Jackson and Jermaine O'Neal. Artest went in the crowd. He went at the right guy. The right guy punked out, pushed him towards that little dude in the funny sweater. Artest grabbed him, pointed a finger at him, and wanted to talk to him. You'll notice that. So if the issue is out-of-control violence, the palace doesn't apply because he did not do any of that. What he did was start a brouhaha, right? But what happened after was larger than Artest. So to me, if you want to connect Palace, then we need to be very careful to say, why do we to the Palace? Just because Ron Artest was there? No, that's it. I have contended for years that the Pacers really got done wrong by the NBA in the course of that just because David Stern wanted to make sure the league knew the 
that everything was under control. Well, since we have someone who was sitting in the second row at the palace <laughs> that night on the podcast with us. <laughs> yeah, I was there and I listen, you I, I was there and I have to go back and watch the tape to remember exactly how it transpired because when you're in there and you see people charging over the stand, you know, over the scores table into the stands and vice versa. It's a whirlwind, but oh, I, would you like would you like to go through the Palestine? Because I know it like I know coming to America. I don't <laughs> anything more to break down and understand? I can almost give you frame by frame, minute by minute on the palace. Here's what you. Here's what I think are the relevant parts that nobody talks about. Fred Jones. I don't know why Fred Jones was in the crowd, but I know he went up there and he got the beat. They were passing Fred Jones up and down the line, beat him down. You know, this thing. It never forget this. Ask yourself this question. If Steven Jackson had not gone up there and knocked out that entire row, how much longer would that whole thing have gone? Steven Jackson was like, yo, it's time for us to go home. That guy was on the floor, he needs to go to sleep too. Why? Because you ain't got no business on the floor. It's Jermaine O'Neal dropped him, Steven Jackson dropped those dudes in the crowd, and guess what? It was all over. Why? Because somebody had to do security's job because security wasn't doing security's job. They got suspensions. I thought they should have got raised. Well. You're gonna get a, you're gonna get all of us in trouble on the. You don't know, but, but when you really stop and think about what happened there, and you go back and look at the out, what the outrage was, you have to ask yourself some serious questions about what exactly are you supposed to do if you see your teammate is beaten up. You know, let it happen. Hey, man, we can't go in the crowd. Yo, dude, it's over now. The crowd is now the floor. The floor is now the crowd. Yeah, and and I mean, and Lang, you know, I wrote a piece for Slam about. Uh, the the brawl, the, the malice, whatever you want to call it. But the the thing, Bo, that really that I'm really struggling with with this whole artist thing, and and I made this point to several people, and I wouldn't care. I'm taking Sunday's incident as a just in itself. I wouldn't care if that was Pal Gasol or Steve Blake, whoever swung an elbow like that and connected and followed through the way he did. That would be worth whatever the suspension that's going to get handed down is to me. I don't, I'm saying, I don't care that it was meta world peace. I wouldn't, I wouldn't care who it was. If you do something like that, you deserve whatever the, the crime is. I mean, or the penalty well, for that crime is, I don't care who did it. Well, it's not a, it's not a 20 game offense. I no, think, no. I think we could agree on that. It's not yeah. a 20 game offense. If you said it was a 10 game offense, I don't think anybody would really have any room to argue with right. it. You know, like, and that's why I didn't understand why people needed to inject all these other elements into it when you had what you had right there was enough. Now we gotta watch it in slow motion. Now we gotta <laughs> hear the people talk about he's a thug. Now we gotta hear people say, Well I guess a guy like him just can't ever change. No, 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 no. Let's not forget O three was on our test with snatching T V cameras and slamming them. Hell yes he's changed. Let's not you know, let's let's be fair to him and give him some credit for the work that he's done on himself. He was the citizen of the year not long ago. You know, like those things are there, but you're right. If you're on a basketball floor, you are responsible for your elbows. And if you swing your elbow like that and you connect with somebody, you get a big suspension. But back to that Henderson Hansbro thing, I understand that that was college, right? Yeah, he gets right. Hansbro in the nose, he breaks his nose, he got a one-game suspension, and I don't remember the world being outraged as such. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. And something that I guess you have to put all of these things into context sometimes as opposed to just – jumping up and having a, a a wild reaction to him. But in addition to this, this meta world peace stuff, the, we've had a lot of strange drama 
involved in the NBA this year, not any more than any other year, but certainly unique to this this abbreviated season. What, what what's caught your attention more? The injuries, the the drama, Bynum shooting a three. I mean, all this little quirky weird stuff. Or is it just the fact that we're getting to the we're getting to the end of the regular season here, and we're getting ready to have a playoff race where nobody is really sure who is going to come out of either side. I mean, you may have some idea that you think San Antonio or whoever is going to have a chance, but we th- you think this every year, and we tend to get surprised. Are you are you more intrigued by what's going on so far and kind of how that all boils into this abbreviated you know lockout shortened season, or is it yeah. the uncertainty of the playoffs that really has got you amped up? Well, I gotta say, I don't. I I think the West is far more uncertain than the East. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the East, we got. I think three teams that we could all say have a legitimate chance to win the East. I think that's Chicago, Miami, and Boston. And to be honest, I think Boston is a stretch, and I do not. I don't see any circumstance under which Chicago wins the East. I, I just don't see how a team that just. I don't think they have enough scorers on that right. team. When your big addition to finally give you some punch was Richard Hamilton, he didn't stop being Richard Hamilton, right? right. But I think I think the East is still entirely about the Heat and what they do, and I think they're going to win it, in spite of what happened just now. We, like, we forgot about last year, right? You got into the NBA playoffs are long enough that you can get your legs in the first round, and then everything that happened prior doesn't really matter. Right. The West is the one that gets me, though, because I have no idea who's going to win the West. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think literally any team that makes the playoffs in the West, I'd say one through six probably, because I just can't sleep on Dallas as a yet. We even, you know, the no Tyson Chandler thing, of course, has been huge for them all year, and they don't have that same presence. But they still have Brendan Haywood, who at the very least is really, really big. And, you know, I still can't believe we live in a world where Brendan Haywood is expected to be anybody's enforcer. But, hey, you know, things change in the course of time. If Brendan Haywood can become an enforcer, then Ron Artest can change. I think that we can all fairly, um, you know, say that. But I, you know what has really gotten me about this season, and I don't think that people have really talked about it, is that with all the injuries and the abbreviated season and the, and the back-to-back-to-back and everything else, hey, man, these guys have been out here playing hard this year. You can talk about teams and the ones that are tanking and what comes from that, but you would expect in a season like this that there will be games where you turn it on and guys were really coasting. I have not found that in the least, and this is absolutely the most maligned player base when it comes to the idea that they don't work hard or that they don't care and all of this other stuff. But we're seeing, we've seen these guys all year long hitting the ground for loose balls and all of that stuff. Like It's been a very entertaining season entirely because of how hard the players have played. I think that's been the most interesting angle of the entire season. And now we'll come to the playoffs, which unlike the regular season, is typically will afford players more rest yeah. than, they, than, than they had had in the you know, We've never seen that before. The postseason comes. And now guys are like, man, we can play a game and not have to play one the next day. <laughs> yeah, totally. Hey, I know you're based in um, North Carolina. What's going on with the Bobcats? <laughs> well, luckily for me, when Bob Johnson had the team, he cut a deal with Time Warner Cable, you know, the Time Warner Cable Arena people. And that deal basically said that if you didn't have Time Warner Cable and you lived in this state, Bobcats games would be blacked out. I have not watched them play a single time this year. And I got to say, it's come in pretty handy. It says something about the Bobcats that I've lived here for all these years, and there ain't been a one time that I've been like, man, I sure wish I could watch the Bobcats tonight. Like, that, that has yet to come up. The thing I will say, though, in fairness to Michael Jordan, is that this team was never intended to be good. It's not like yeah. this is the team that he tried to put together. And they've had some injuries. DJ Augustine's been hurt a lot. Corey McGetty was going to be their best player. He's been hurt for much of the year. 
Um, this team was supposed to be bad. If they were to get Anthony Davis, so many of their problems would wind up being fixed. But I think I feel bad for Jordan because you'll never hear about an owner supposedly being so important to the all-court success of a team. He just hired Rich Jones. Rich Jones, so he's got a general manager. He had the Larry Brown situation. He had to deal with that. And now this team is bottomed out, and we'll see if they get better. But I just don't think this season to really evaluate anybody on. That yeah. being said, I don't quite understand how many injuries you can have in the world to where I look up and it appears that Gerald Henderson, who as far as I can tell, still only has a right hand, is your best player. I don't know how that happened. Luckily for you, they're on uh, TNT Thursday night. <laughs> oh, they blocked those out, too. Yeah. They blocked them all. What? <laughs> they don't. Dang. They're like the early game on TNT. Yeah, Bobcats Knicks, Thursday night. Is that in a contract or something? Like, how'd they work that out? <laughs> well, everybody, everybody's got to get a look at them before the season is over now. They had a chance to make, they got a chance well, to make history. If they're going to do that, they need to send Ernie, Shaq, <laughs> and Ernie, Kenny, and Charles to do the boot, to do the, the color and play-by-play for that game. <laughs> That's what we need. We need Chuck to talk about this one. <laughs> and both of them have played on some pretty bad teams. Yeah. <laughs> Now, now, Bo, I know you got, like I said, you got your hand in about eight million different things, man. But the YouTube, the YouTube stuff is some of the best stuff I've seen um, on the web, man. T- tell us a little bit about how all this stuff goes down. Oh, no, I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah. We got a show called Bomani and Jones. You can get it at youtube.com slash SB Nation. We drop new episodes on Thursday and Monday. And basically, they looked at me and said, hey, we want you to put together a YouTube show. And I was like, well, what do you want? And we really didn't have any idea at the time. So I've got a production team here, my guy Chip Patterson, Hayes Parmar, and we got the studio space and we get together and whatever approach we think will be best to handle a sports topic, we deal with it. And it's mostly satire type of stuff, but I've heard some people describe it as uh, Chappelle's show meets sports. And <laughs> I, I, Chappelle's show to me is the absolute work of genius, so I could not go that far. But for me, it's humbling because that's kind of the thing that we really want to go for. Not all of this stuff should be taken seriously. The rest of you guys, unfortunately, have jobs that require you to take things that aren't serious very seriously. <laughs> I, on the other hand, do not. So if it's time to laugh, we're going to laugh about it. And I think that we're able to make a lot of the same points that you would hope that your local columnists would make or the big guys you watch on the, you know, read on the Internet. We're hitting all those points, and I think we're making all the same statements, and I think that we're saying things that are just as smart as anybody else. But if we can do funny, who's not doing funny if funny is an option? <laughs> right, right. No question, man. Well, listen, we appreciate you joining us, man. know you're busy, but uh, we will continue to check you out on YouTube, certainly uh, as a contributor to SB, uh, SBNation.com. But Monty Jones, uh, I, I, I miss the morning, Jones. i got to be honest with you. I'm, Dude, I miss it, too. I miss like coming it. on and, and clowning. I miss hearing it on, on satellite radio. I'm, I'm a little upset, man. We got okay, we're going to find a way, one way or another, to get some form of that back. Because, honestly, at all these different jobs I've been let go of or laid off of or fired <laughs> or everything else, I've taken one step away from those jobs, and that was gone. I have time on, like, a weekly basis where I just look up and, like, man, we should be up in the morning to talk about this. Like, it'd be yes. so much fun if yeah. something happened at, like, 8 o'clock at night. At 10 o'clock, I know, man, we got nine hours before we start. <laughs> <laughs> No doubt about it, man. Bomani Jones, thanks for joining us, man. We'll see you soon. Thanks, for oh, man. We got to hang out next time I'm in Atlanta, man. You know how to find me, sir. You know, you know you where know, I'm at. You, 
Hey, you know where I'm trying to go. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Church, baby. Church. <laughs> yes, that's exactly I'm what I'm going to take is. you to new birth, man. Appreciate it. We're going to see God's bountiful world. We're going to see what he's bringing. Bomani Jones, man. Thanks for hanging with us. We'll talk to you. Yes, sir. All right. Bomani Jones, Lang. We don't. It's not often we get a chance to hang with Bomani Jones around here. He uh, he is one of the original, uh, you know, guests on the Hang Time podcast. Glad to hear him here, uh, entertaining everybody and uh, you know, shedding his own his own light on some of these issues. Oh man, I think I need to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Bomani, man, I tell you, the dude is he is a, he is a master, man, in terms of the just the way he can go up and down and energy and then lay off. And I was like, this dude is, this dude has got this thing down. But, uh, you know, we, we, we depart from that conversation lane and get to our next guest. Who's a guy who, who has really drawn some serious attention here down the stretch of this NBA season, Goran Dragic point guard for the Houston Rockets. Um, they're, they're not going to be a part of this playoff mix we're talking about, but they were in the hunt as recently, you know, as, as two weeks ago, really a week and a half ago. Everybody thought, you know, the Rockets got a chance to really yeah. do this. Um, but it's good to get his perspective just on what they went through and kind of where he's going. It's going to be one of the hot names in free agency this summer. Um, a lot of people be after him. So it's good that we get this perspective as well. So um, welcome our next guest, Goran Dragic of the Houston Rockets. You know, you you finish the season, and and are in the midst of finishing the season really strong. For you, how beneficial was it to have this playoff chase down the stretch, just to really come into your own and, and establish yourself this season? Hello. Uh, first of all, we really disappointed that we we didn't uh, make the playoffs. Um, maybe two or three weeks ago, we were in, in really good spot, um, but then we just. Um, play some bad games but um for me personally you know i was i was really grateful that the coach gave me a lot of opportunity i play well um, and the team accept me and you know um the basketball it's a team sport and and um everything what i did is uh, i give credit to my teammates goran um tell us a little bit about about your background i, I know like NBA fans, you you played a lot over in Europe and uh, before you came to Phoenix um, a couple of years ago. When you were growing up, like what, what kind of basketball did you watch? Did you watch the NBA? Like who, who were your favorite players? Yeah, I started um, I started in Europe. Then I went to to play in Spanish league, and after that, I come back home for one year, and I was drafted, and I I came to NBA. But uh, when I was a kid, I I was love watching uh, NBA. I woke up at um, two two thirty a.m. just to watch some NBA games. And at that time, of course, my favorite players were Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson, um, Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, all these great, right. uh, great um, players. And um, you know, I was re- I was dreaming about that moment that someday I could play in this league. And um, I'm really happy that that I'm here right now. Was basketball like popular at the time? Like, did you and your friends play a lot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Especially in our country, it's really popular. A small country, uh, we are playing outside a lot, and um, you know. Right. You're from you're from Slovenia, right? Like, yeah, Slovenia. Yeah. Okay. Going, going. When was at what age? I mean, you're 25 years old now. At what age did you know professional basketball 
was in your future, that, that this was something that was not just a dream, but kind of a, a possibility and realistic for you? Um, I would I would say when I signed my first contract, that was when I when I had uh, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. I signed in Spain, and I knew that um, I'm gonna I'm gonna play basketball for my living for a living. So I would say um, from that 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 um, that um, point um, that I'm gonna be a basketball player. Mm-hmm. And, right. and was it was it a deal where you figured I'll play in Europe and and see where it takes me, or that NBA dream? was always the thing you were working towards? No, I was always dreaming about the NBA when I was a kid. And, you know, um, um, I, was, I, was, I was really um, um, lucky in this that I, that I succeeded in basketball. I was, I, was I was practicing hard for that moment. And when I signed in Spain, I knew that my second, um, then, then my second opportunity is to come to NBA. And, uh, you know, I was working hard and, um, just following my dreams. Mm-hmm. If you hadn't have played basketball, what what do you think you would have uh, gone into? I would play soccer for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Before basketball, I was I was I was playing soccer, and then I had a, a leg injury, and from that, um, all my friends were playing basketball, and that's that how I started to play basketball. So uh, before before basketball, I was playing soccer. You you'd have been a tall soccer player. You wouldn't. Have, you... <laughs> yeah, probably a de- de- defender or something like that. Right, right, right. No, I mean, it, it, throughout your career, you you know, you you had two stops in the NBA, obviously in Phoenix and now in Houston. What has been the one thing about the NBA for you that's been a, a real eye opener, or something that maybe you didn't expect coming in that you've you've learned about the league now in these three years? Yeah, you know, um, the NBA is differently. Um, it's different kind of basketball than in Europe. Um, especially my first year, I had trouble to adapt. Um, the 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 players are more physical, stronger. Uh, the basketball is much faster. So I, I would say those things. But then you you just need some time um, to adjust. And um, you know, now I feel great here. I think so um, that um, I make a right choice that I came to NBA. You know, you talked about growing up and one of your favorite players was Steve Nash. I know you're not trying to make him feel old, but (laughs) (laughs) when you came over to Phoenix and then you got to play with Steve Nash, what was that like for you and and what did you take from playing with him? You know, I thought I was dreaming at that moment (laughs) when when I found out that I'm going to go to Phoenix Suns. Yeah, and it was it was really special, special for me. Um, um, I was sharing the locker room. I was playing for the same team on the practice. I was playing against one of the best players in the league, and um, you know I, I was just try to learn much as possible. Try to try to practice hard, and you know Steve, Steve is a great guy, great person, and um, he he gave me so much. Uh, so much knowledge on the practice, and uh, I'm really grateful that I could play with him. Gordon, do you feel like now the, the people in the NBA have had a chance to see you in, in a couple different positions? Obviously, you know, do you feel like now your next opportunity is going to be to run a team somewhere and and establish yourself as a starting point guard in this league and really find you know kind of find a home in terms of your own team as opposed to, you know, being in Phoenix and, and playing with and behind Steve or, or coming to Houston and having Kyle Lowry there, that, that next opportunity for you is the one that's 
that's home? Yeah, I hope so. You know, I was, like I said, I was dreaming. I was working hard for that moment. And in the future, I want to have my team. I, I want to have, um, um, you know, I want to be a first point guard and, you know, just try to work hard. I knew I knew that the uh, NBA is really tough. Every every day somebody somebody um, new players coming for for your spots, and you just have to be uh, focused, dedicated um, to your work, and um, you know try to be as better player you, you can be. You know, one of your uh, your coach this season is one of Seku and I's favorite people. We worked with him at NBA TV some of the last few years. Kevin McHale. Um, what was it like to play for him? Did you remember watching him growing up too? Um, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, um, I was um, too young to watch his game. <laughs> yeah. I, I still, I still, I still, uh, I still know who is coming. He, he was a great player, um, great guy, great coach. And you know, this season uh, he taught me a lot, especially our team. Uh, he got a lot, a lot of experience, and um, you know, um, from the first day that he joined our team, I was really excited, and um, you know. He's a great guy, and hopefully in the future I'm going to have this chance to work with him. Well, well Goran, it's a, it's a big summer, obviously, for you. Um, we'll be looking forward to seeing where you you know where you know where are next season and, and certainly watching you play your, your game. And we know it's, it's flashy and it's, and it's uh, something that a lot of fans love to see. And we appreciate you hanging out with us today on the Hang Time Podcast, man. Take care. Thank, thank you so much, guys. Okay, take All care. Right, let's go on. Goran Dragic joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast of the Houston Rockets Lang. Didn't they did not get a chance to uh get in the playoff mix, but they, you know, as recently as a couple weeks ago, they were right there, you know. Um, yeah. And Dragic is an interesting player because he's one of those guys that when as a backup point guard, you look at him and go, Man, this is exactly what you want in a backup point guard. But, you know, you remember the guy's twenty five years old, he's been playing pro ball for seven, eight years. Yep. He's not trying to be a backup, and and that's kind of why I asked him about that. He, you know, he's obviously feeling like he's he's ready to run a, run his own team. I mean, and if you look at what he's done, you know, the, down the stretch here for the Rockets, it's been pretty remarkable. I mean, he, you know, nabbed some player of the week in uh, in the Western Conference, love, and uh, you know, averaging nineteen points and seven and you know seven assists over his last ten games. Are we talking about a guy who ends up becoming the object of somebody's affection, you know, in free agency this summer? Um, you know, because I don't know what the long-term situation is in Houston for for he and Lowry, you know, as a, as yeah. a tandem. I don't know that you could have two young point guards down there like that. And I, I think, you know, I think we've seen him in the playoffs with Phoenix. Yeah. I know Laker, Laker fans remember him. <laughs> <laughs> he had some good games against them. And, yeah. Um, you know, we're in the era of the point guard. You need a point guard. You need that guy. Yep. And so I, I'm sure some team's going to um, – and maybe it's Houston, but some team's going to want to have him be their guy long-term um, running the show. Yeah, it's going to – I mean, again, in, in a summer where the free agent class has been somewhat, you know, uh, overshadowed by obviously those big names. You know, everybody was expecting to see Dwight Howard and, and Darren Williams kind of headline the class. Dragic is the kind of guy who ends up becoming – a much hotter prospect with the way things have broken down, you know, in terms of Dwight no longer going to be a part of that free agent class and everybody can't get Darren Williams. So that means when you go looking for a point guard, he's one of those names that's going to pop up on the high on the list. So appreciate him joining us here on the hang time podcast. And, uh, 
you know, they've, they've played a string out, like I said, in Houston under uh, I got Kevin McHale and then uh, see where he ends up after that. Well, Lang, I mean, uh, certainly the the countdown clock is on for the playoffs. Um, you know, the matchups, we know who, who the field is on one side already. We know the eight teams in the East. Now it's a matter of solidifying the Western Conference and then all the way up until Thursday night, the matchups can actually – yeah. get jumbled a little bit. So it's going to be a nothing like – I call this April Madness. I, I told Brent Barry earlier today that I, I'm, I'm nicknaming the last week of this crazy NBA season, April Madness, to see exactly where we wind up. Um, well, I don't think we even need to bother with playoff predictions. We're going to be hanging yeah. out podcasting people like crazy here over the next couple months. So uh, you got any ideas, though, about what you – the first that first round I series you gonna be time yet. I gotta I gotta figure out this awards ballot. Oh no, that. not that again. I got till Friday, so I'm gonna worry about. <laughs> I'm gonna wait till these matchups are all set, and then on Friday look at the playoffs and figure out who's playing and yeah, figure that stuff out. Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do uh do like I told you and uh, get my cheat sheet out and get on NBA.com and look at the morning tip uh, by David Aldridge and, and match up my ballot for all these awards to make sure it's right. So. Uh, but we appreciate our guests certainly coming on with us today here on the Hangtime Podcast. Bomani Jones of uh, SBNation.com. And uh, certainly you can catch him on ESPN on Around the Horn. You see him on Outside the Lines. Plenty of energy as always. Appreciate him coming back uh, and joining us here on the podcast. And then Goran Dragic of the Houston Rockets. Uh, point guard who's got a huge summer ahead of him. Uh, one of the top names in free agency coming on today and joining us on the Hangtime Podcast. Lang. You better get Starberry uh, a bath, a haircut. You know, get get the playoff playoff swag ready now for for Starberry. She got to have all of her playoff stuff in place by Friday. I'm not sure I'm going to see her after the playoffs get started <laughs> for the next couple of weeks. So yeah, better you know leave some food and water out. Make sure you pay Starberry's uh, iPhone bill so she can call you and you know the whole night. <laughs> but uh, we will see you next time uh, here on the Hangtime Podcast. And uh, we enjoyed it. Make sure you check us out. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with her. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. matchup between your two favorite teams and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip off and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.